Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm a Jake Newcastle fan. You can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's and you get my writings on EPL Index. Hi, I'm Richard Burns. I'm a Manchester City fan and uh, I'm on the Blue Moon podcast, uh, who are also on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. All right, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Uh, up first, let's talk a little bit about Maurizio Sarri. Obviously, early in the season, we, we had a whole podcast about whether or not they're title contenders and the brilliant football he was going to bring with him from Italy that we, of course, saw at Napoli uh, last year. Things not going as well, culminating in this 2-0 loss uh, to Arsenal this weekend. After the match, he had some very strong words. Uh, for his own team, um, and then at the end basically said it's almost impossible to motivate this current squad. Now, this is not the first time we've heard something like this about a Chelsea squad. Conte said something similar during his tenure. AVB got sacked because he said too many negative things about the squad, and particularly the club leaders at the time. Do you guys, first of all, do you agree with what Sari was saying, and do you think this is a temporary issue, or, or do you view it as this kind of historical context that's already been set? Uh, I agree with a lot of what he said. Uh, it's quite a brave thing to say, but I think the the issues at Chelsea this season have been more tactical than than anything else. It was uh, the performance uh, against Arsenal. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, some of the players didn't look like they particularly wanted to be there. But you know, playing with with that front three, so it just gave them no sort of outlet whatsoever. Um, you've got a player that has been very publicly uh, chased by Bayern Munich sitting on the bench who, who would offer a lot more that just doesn't seem to get game time. And, it, and it's these players that Sarri is now criticising that he continues, he continues to pick. Like if, if, he, if, he, if they're that difficult to motivate, why pick them? It, it, it does bring to that point. And um, there, there are other players in that squad that, that should be getting more game time that aren't. Hudson-Odoi is, is one, I think. Um, Emerson, the left back, would probably offer a lot more than Marcus Alonso has for the last three or four months. And I think Marcus Alonso is one of the chief players that is probably the target of this this Sarri sort of rant after the match yesterday. Um, along with Willian as well, a player that they should have sold to Barcelona in the summer. And it has been more bids um, in this window and they just seem to want to keep him, which is madness because... He, he's very very average uh, and the fact that Barcelona are willing to pay 40 50 million for him is 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 insane and and I don't know why they didn't sell him uh, but but this has just been a a problem for Chelsea for the last three, three, four, five, six years, you know, and goes far back. And there's always been an attitude problem. You go back to when they won the Champions League, uh, there were problems there. And Di Matteo probably didn't do a lot when he came in. And, and it was sort of the players sort of decided they, they wanted to play then uh, after AVB left. Uh, and that's why it sort of went so well. Mourinho had problems managing that dressing room. 
every single Chelsea manager has had problems. That they, they've there's been success for a little bit, and then it's sort of quickly gone downhill. Um, you know, they've they've had some very very high caliber managers there as well. You've got Mourinho, Ancelotti. They've all had problems. So it, it's it has to has to be looked at, and I think it, it's going to be a difficult one to solve. Um, for Sarri in particular, though, I think this is a, this is very brave to come out and say this. I think I think with time, he probably. He could probably be really a really good manager in the Premier League. I think his his style of play at Napoli was, was very very good to watch. Um, I've been a little bit disappointed at, at what he's sort of dished up at Chelsea so far, but I think that's probably because he doesn't have the players capable. Uh, and and these latest comments sort of show the, the frustration that with the players that he does have available. So yeah, I think it's I agree with a lot of it, but I also think that there are there are things he could be doing to try and correct it, namely dropping players that he should be dropping, which just it, they just, you know, these players know they're going to play every week. So, if they do have an attitude problem, why, why do they need to, you know, sort of buck up their ideas or anything? If the manager's going to keep picking them anyway, yeah, he might come out and say it, you know, publicly criticise them, but he's going to continue to pick them. So, I, I just don't really understand what he's going to gain from these comments, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's the thing for me. I think when, when a manager resorts to this, we see it. I think from managers who are at the end of the tether or who are sort of seriously struggling. Um, It's normally to me something of a a last resort when a manager comes out and publicly berates his players and not just just criticising the performance because plenty of managers do the old sort of public hairdryer treatment of saying how poor a performance was and how disappointed they are. That, That happens all the time after a bad performance. But to come out and publicly slate your player's mentality when you are still in a you know you're still in a lot of you're at important stages of of competitions that you want to do well in you know they've got a league cup semi-final coming up they're in the top four hunt they're in uh, still in the Europa League um and still in the FA Cup of course um I think it's a really odd move to so publicly say that your players are hard to motivate because I can't imagine, and I might be wrong, but I cannot imagine that the automatic reaction of any player in that dressing room is going to be to to be motivated or to fall for the reverse psychology of that. And I don't think for one second that's what he was going for. But the risk of losing the players at this point is just huge. And it doesn't speak well of where he's at mentally if only a few months into a job that he himself at the start of the season, you know, when they were um, when they were part of that top three that were with with City and Liverpool, it was the first time three teams had gone unbeaten uh, as long as, as those three had. Um, he was saying at that point that they were overperforming and that he didn't expect it to last and that he'd been taken a little bit by surprise by how well his players had adapted. To just be a month or two down the line from that and having only recently beat City and being the first team to beat City in the league this season, it's just such an about turn. And none of that is to say that he's wrong. I agree pretty much with everything that that Jake said, really. Um, It's not to say that he's wrong in his assessment, but I'm not sure it's, it's the right thing from a long-term success point of view, to come out and say it so publicly, unless he is 100% sure of the backing he'll get from the board 
um, to still be at the club next season and that he will be well backed in the transfer market in the summer. But with Chelsea's history of um, of sacking managers when they're underperforming um, and their recent history of not being as big a spenders as they were, uh, as they once were, um, I'm not sure that he, he could be so sure of that. So if he loses the dressing room through doing that, it will be an absolutely massive misstep. And I struggle to see, I mean, I don't know if he will lose the dressing room, but I just struggle to see that that's going to get players more onside um, and be and work as a motivational tool. And like I say, if you're, I mean, if you're, Guardiola, or if you're Pochettino looking at the, um, to use a more upcoming example, if you're Maurizio Pochettino ahead of the League Cup semi-final uh, coming up on Thursday, then I think you'd be using that as a motivational tool for your players to say, look, the manager's rattled, the players, the players aren't trusting the manager, the manager's not trusting the players. If we get into them early, we can upset them. And I, I, I would, I don't know, I, I think it's just got potential to do more harm than good, regardless of how accurate a thing it is to say. Um, I'm not sure it's a wise conversation to be having publicly at all. Yeah, as someone in sports media, I love that he came out and said this, and always love when people come out and say stuff like this, but I totally agree that it's it's probably not the right thing to do, especially at that club, because it just brings attention to the potential toxicity there, and I think you you nailed the the head that's that saying right um you hit the nail on the head um perfectly when you said that he doesn't trust them and they don't trust him and i think that that encapsulates what what jake was saying earlier like yes there are things that he could be doing tactically and he did say it in there that usually he'd rather talk about tactics than than mentality but regardless of what his tactics are the players on the pitch should be doing better than what they're doing and i'm sure the players seeing the results are thinking that the manager should be doing more as well that's just a pretty negative spiral. And I hate to bring up a point that I've said a lot of times, especially on the transfer shows that we do, but Chelsea have spent the last two years and hundreds of millions of pounds getting worse. Mm-hmm. Where they continue to buy players that are not as good as the outgoing ones. And they've done this over and over again at a lot of different positions. And so while I respect Sari and, and Jake, I, I similarly am disappointed somewhat in the, the style of football that we've seen from Sari in the Premier League, was kind of hoping we'd get to see that kind of up-tempo Napoli style. <clears throat> Some of it might just be the squad. I mean, having to play William week in, week out, I agree. You could be playing hudson Adoy, but how is that the second option at a club like Chelsea? Like, you're playing Hazard up front, you're playing 30-plus-year-old Pedro on the other side, who has had moments at Chelsea but hasn't really settled Williams underperforming then your other option is a teenager and nothing else I mean that is not a good look your main striker Morata can't score last year your solution to that was to bring in Giroud he's been in and out of the squad and so now you're playing your best player out of position like this is not a good situation at Chelsea right now stepping back from just this managerial quotes this week and and the play that saw them lose this week like for me I think there's very dangerous times and on the last transfer show Dave and I said that they were on a very thin line between stagnating or like falling out of the quote-unquote top four, and I think we're witnessing that now. And if Sarri can get them out of that, he'll have done a very good job. They obviously have the individual players to turn that around, especially in central midfield, if they can ever really work out that 
kind of Sari and uh, Jorginho combo. Obviously, Hazard can can win matches solely by himself, but I think this is really belying of larger issues at the club. Um, but linking back to you, Jake, Richard commented on, on him not thinking that it's going to be beneficial. Do you think there's any chance that this does catalyze the squad? We're, we're viewing it very negatively, but but could this actually be a benefit long-term? Um, I guess it could be, but, you know, people have said this about this squad before and, and yet another manager is saying it now, so I just... I just find it difficult to think it's going to have any sort of effect apart from a negative one at this at this point. Okay, quick yes or no's. Do Chelsea make the Champions League this year? No. Uh, I'm going to go no as well. Yep, same for me. Just to give everybody a short, quick look at how we're viewing that for the rest of the season. Next up, I want to talk about home advantage a little bit because Huddersfield and Fulham, the only two clubs this week uh, to lose at home, they're the bottom two in the table, so no huge shocks there. Um, But we've seen this kind of trend developing this year that the home sides have been winning. This is obviously not a new trend in sports, but how much more confident do you feel when your side are at home versus when they're traveling? I, yeah, I used to think there there was an advantage of playing at St. James's Park. Um, that is that has somewhat gone away, um, probably because we aren't that good anymore. And the style of play uh, that we have is is very much a defensive one, and, and that doesn't really, you know, get the fans excited and get the crowd going. Um, and and there have definitely been problems for us at St. James's Park this season. I think the, the win against Cardiff was our first at home since November, I think uh, I'm right in saying it. And... and you know that's not really good enough for any team, uh, uh, and I and throughout you know Benitez's time at Newcastle, I've always preferred going away from home. So it's a, I think that's very much just because of the type of team we are. Um, but in general, yeah, I think there there is there is an advantage of playing at home. Um, you know, you see that if you you know if you look at teams' home wins and away wins, you I'd be shocked if more than two or three won more away from home than they did at home. So um, probably, yeah, I'd be surprised if that many did, to be honest. I think there's a, there's a definite advantage. But for Newcastle, I think um, the stadium's a little bit daunting for our players. I don't think they they quite feel at home there, um, that you know the supporters can get on their back, especially as we are a struggling team and, and, and at a stadium that size. Um, yeah, it's, it's not the most conducive for, for getting wins. I know we won there on Saturday, but the, yeah, that was, that was the first one we've won in a while. And, and I think we had a, a crazy record at the start of the year where we, we hadn't won at home until November. And now we haven't, we, we haven't won since then. So I think we might've only won three or four games at home this year, which is, isn't really good enough. So yeah, I, I don't enjoy playing at St. James Park. I'd much rather go away uh, to a team that, than I would play at home at the moment. Yeah. We, um, I think for City now, I, I put a lot of importance on the home form um, because in any year that that I've seen us win the league, so 2012, 2014, and 2018, the home form has been um, has been absolutely impeccable. In 2012, we only dropped two points at home all season, uh, which was a, a draw with Sunderland. And then in 2014, we only lost one and drew one at home. Again, bizarrely, the draw was with Sunderland. Um, and 2018, um, I, I know we lost to United and then we had a nil-nil draw with Huddersfield after we'd already won the league. Um, and the, In fact, on the day we got the trophy. So the, the home form at the Etihad was 
absolutely vital in each of those seasons. Um, I think back to when City were a lot less successful and the away form was always, always atrocious. Um, and I can think of seasons where the home form dug us out a little bit. I think under Mark Hughes, we had a season where we went from August to April without uh, without winning an away game. Um, and then we only won two all season. I think psychologically one of the things that comes with it though is if a team is struggling a little bit or going through a bad patch then maybe sometimes it can be a bit freeing to play away from home because if you although at home you know it's obviously it should be an advantage because you have you know your number of supporters in the stadium significantly outweigh uh, how many traveling fans there are I think sometimes that pressure of if things start to go wrong early on that's a lot more people that are suddenly getting frustrated or, you know, if you're in a bad run of form, it only takes a bad first five minutes and a, a couple of bad passes to get people getting a bit jittery and the groaning and the sighing and the that pressure coming down from the stands, I think can make home form a disadvantage. Um, but I do think it's a bit of a truism, but for any level of success, whatever it is that you're hoping to achieve, you've really got to try and make your home form, yeah, your home stadium. A, a bit of a fortress. I know it's a massive cliche, but it it does ring true. Um, I can't say I'm more or less confident wherever City are these days because, to be honest, um, we expect to win anywhere we play. Um, obviously, it isn't always the case and can't always be the case, but the reality is that we're better than most teams that we come up against and home or away shouldn't really affect that. But the Etihad does still definitely have a certain home comforts feel about it yeah well i'd certainly like to say that it doesn't matter at all since tottenham are anybody at home want to guess eighth eighth in home points uh this season first obviously in away points which is how they're still near the top of the table city obviously last season led the league in in home points and won the year before that tottenham lead, led the league in uh, home points and then chelsea won the title so um not not as uh in favor of my particular club, as I would like uh, to be sure, but it's a, it's a very interesting one for Tottenham because of the whole split home situation. Um, having already played home matches at different places this season, including MK Dons and then Wembley, and then hopefully the new stadium as we continue to wait that one out. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. The Tottenham struggled so much at Wembley this season with very little murmur about it. When last season, when we were actually playing fairly well there. Um, all of the like Wembley hoodoo season derailed stuff was happening uh, when it's really more the case now. Um, but yeah, it's it's it stands to reason that a home side would win. Like I said, in all sport for all time, it seems to be uh, the case that you have more advantage at home. But Jake makes a good point as well that that sometimes stylistically it's a little easier to not be there. Um, and sometimes if your team's playing poorly, you personally don't have to go, which can be uh, nice at times as well. But uh, on the whole, still think um, playing at home is is crucial. Obviously, the, the season Tottenham didn't drop a... Uh, Tottenham didn't lose at, at uh, White Hart Lane the last season at a, at a proper home ground. Having that, Pochettino kept talking about it, it is a fortress, as I'm sure many other managers have discussed their home ground in the past. And having that is kind of a launching pad for your season, knowing when you're at home and then building the confidence that you will pick up points when you're there, uh, I think is a very positive cycle that you can get 
uh, Cotton, where you say you're going to play well at home, you play well at home, you expect you play well at home, then you play well at home, and then it just kind of continues to reinforce. Um, but uh, what kind of specific tactical changes does your manager make uh, at home versus uh, when you're on the road? We don't really make any changes, which is probably why it lends to, to my point that we don't mm. like playing at home. Uh, I think on Saturday we played with one striker and, and five defenders. So, yeah, it, it, that was against Cardiff as well, which is just incredible, really, when you think about it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we yeah we, we just play exactly the same. Um, I think there's there's sometimes a little bit of a, a difference in in, you know, attacking intent i think we we do offer a bit more at home i think we do try to to get forward a little bit more and play higher up the pitch but in terms of formation it's essentially the same um yeah and it's i think for benitez he 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 tailors his games from from opponent to opponent rather than whether we're at home or whether we're away I, i think that's probably how he plays it um like we you know, we you you both have seen Newcastle play against your teams and, and how defensive it can be. But yet when we went to Old Trafford, um we we played quite an attacking brand of football in the first half, went two 0 up and and it was that crazy game where they came back and won three two, uh probably keeping Mourinho in the job for another month or two, which probably did a lot of people favours in in the end. So I mean it was it was awful for Newcastle on the day. But like you know, we did we did play quite attacking that day and we, we offered a lot for um, going forward. So it's not always defensive and it, it it's, I just, but yeah, to, to, to go back to the question, I think it's, it's more opponent to opponent than it is home or away for Benitez. And, you know, if, if that's how he wants to play, that's fine. As long as we stay up, that's, that's all I'm bothered about. And, and it does seem that for us to stay up, it, it's more likely that we'll get those points away from him than we will at home. Yeah, I think, um, for I mean for Guardiola, it's his style obviously doesn't change. It's um, he's obviously I think the thing he's most well known for is his brand of football. So tactically, um, again, like Jake's saying about Rafa, the tweaks that Guardiola makes depend on the opponent um, and his team selection to some degree, but the actual tactical approach is always always the same be on the front foot um yeah so but other than other than maybe having a little bit more width at home um there aren't any major major changes that we make um it's it's more about rotation and picking the appropriate players for the game but the actual tactical approach never really differs all right. Um, now, well, kind of talking about Guardiola's tactics, we'll, we'll go into talking about his mentor and Pochettino's as well in Marcelo Bielsa. We didn't do a full show last week, so we didn't get to talk about uh, the whole Bielsa leads spying situation. Uh, but I was curious to get your guys' thoughts on this and had it happened in the Premier League, uh, what you think the reaction would have been? Yeah, I think there would have been uproar if it had happened in the Premier League, like there has been that it happened in the championship, although I think it's been massively overblown um, because I'm not sure how much of an advantage it would even give him. Um, and yes, it maybe does on, on a game to game. I mean, I guess it does, but it's not the worst thing in the world. And all this stuff about the, you know, the spirit of the game, you know, the spirit of the game went a long time ago. It 
you see diving, you see uh, time wasting, you see you know foul play on a on a week weekly basis. I don't think that that this this is you know it should be that Bielsa should be castigated for doing this. Um, he's rightly gonna get punished in some form. Um, I think those calling for a points deduction are completely you know completely out of line. I think that's that's crazy to be calling for that. I think it's just a a manager that doesn't quite understand you know the culture of england but but even even so it's it's not it's not the worst thing i i, I did quite enjoy how he got got uh, he got caught doing it against um derby and then and then went on to say wow i, I do it against every every opposition <laughs> and then went on to to give all his tactical information about derby which i thought was was beautiful <laughs> he, he's you know if he's gonna get you know punished for it he, he is going down fighting and, and you've got to to praise the man for that but yeah I, I don't think it's it's that bad to be honest and I think if anything it's you know the focus should be on the, the the teams that were being spied on to make sure that that shouldn't even even been a possibility I know at, um, uh, Newcastle training ground they've got big you know barriers up and things like that and and it's you know you should it's you should make sure that you know it's your information you're trying to keep yes it's a little bit out of line for Leeds to be doing something like that but at the same time you should be making sure that that shouldn't even be a possibility at your training ground and that that what you what you're planning to do at the weekend shouldn't come out regardless of people trying to get to it and, you know you see clubs on, on social media they tweet out pictures of, of training and you see you see you can sort of take an idea of the players that are going to start the game based on what color bib they're wearing I, I, you know it's that's quite common. I, I see that a lot. So I don't think it's. Yeah, I just. I just don't think it's. I think it's massively blown up proportion. I don't even think it's that bad. Yeah. Um. I. I sort of think you know. I'm. I'm aware that it's wrong. Like you shouldn't really be doing it if it's. It's you can't argue against the fact that it's sort of not within the spirit of sportsmanship and, and the spirit of the game. But Jake's right. You know, the, the spirit of the game isn't really a thing that anybody considers anymore, whether it be because people are happy to um, to dive to win penalties or free kicks um, or, you know, nobody talks about spirit of the game when players are stealing 10 yards for a, a free kick that um, or a throw-in or whatever. The, the little things where we think, you know, people are trying to steal a little advantage by not working within the rules that's all spirit of the game stuff and you don't you don't see it complained about too much Bielsa has done something that is morally questionable but at the same time I'm just really struggling to care all that much the best part has been his press conference like Jake said in in completely revealing everything that he knew about Derby and he's ended up impressing people um, by it and sort of getting people on side with what an incredible uh, and quite unique press conference it was. Um, I think part of the uproar probably comes from this idea of um, of how people perceive Bielsa anyway as something of a eccentric football coach and um, football obsessive and somebody that, and forgive me because I hate this phrase, but one of the things that gets said about him is that, you know, the hipsters love him because he's a bit of a, a football nerd and a bit different. Um, I think that's probably drawn a lot more attention to it than, even had it been the other way around, had it been Frank Lampard who'd been caught doing it to Leeds, I don't think you would see quite the same reaction, to be honest. Um, 
it's well, I mean, we'll see what the FA come back with. If he's actually broken the rules, then he'll get the appropriate punishment. Um, I don't think it's a, a huge deal. I think it's vaguely amusing, but he shouldn't have done it. Uh, and if anything, it's just one of those things that I probably, somewhere in the back of my mind, suspected it went on anyway. It's just brought it to light. Um, like many things that get uncovered in football that, that go on that probably shouldn't do. I never really doubted that it happened people will always try and steal an advantage in competitive environments and maybe it will just force it to be uh, tighter laws or close down any loopholes that might allow it to happen or we will get um, made an example of with an appropriate punishment if they can do that but it's it's a footnote of a story really um, mm. but it's entertain. it is entertaining but I don't think it's a huge deal. Mm. It was made more entertaining with the with the PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. Um, to be sure, it just kind of kept it alive. Um, do you uh, agree with uh, your manager, uh, Pep Guardiola, when he was basically saying it's just a cultural translation thing that because this happens all the time in, in Europe, maybe he didn't understand that this was going to be as problematic as it was in England? Or do you think Bielsa already knew that and so he figured he'd at least get one free pass on it? Oh, um, God, you'd think that if that's, I suppose it depends to what level, and forgive me if this is something that's been revealed and I've missed it, I suppose it depends to what level Leeds themselves knew about it. If that's something that is in any way club sanctioned, you would think there might be somebody at the club who'd say, look, Marcello, this isn't really the done thing, or at least if we're going to do something like that, we can't be too brazen about it because it's not an accepted part of the culture here. If it's just something that he's done off his own back, um, you know, instructed it without sort of anybody over uh, over and above him knowing about it, then yeah, it could just be a cultural um, translation. If it, if it goes on in Argentina and other parts of Europe and it's not seen as a big deal, he's not been in England too long. Um, but then again, as an obsessive as he is, you'd think that uh, he, he would pick up on the culture pretty quickly because they're the things that I think he enjoys. As he, I think he sees himself as a, a student of the game and all that. Um, you'd think that picking up the culture would be something that he'd do very, very quickly as well. Um, but yeah, it's. I'd be willing to take it at face value to a point and believe that it's just a done thing elsewhere. So he thought he'd have a go here as well. Yeah, and as for uh, solutions, I, I think it was Stokes' manager that had their final uh, training session in the actual stadium to prevent <laughs> anybody from being able to look in. So maybe everybody will just do that uh, going forward. But I do agree. I think this was kind of blown up a little bit bigger than proportion, both because of who it was about and Bielsa, who is kind of this, um, <laughs> as you said, enigmatic figure in, in football. Um, but I, I thought it was really cool that uh, both Pochettino and Guardiola came out and, you know, mentioned how important he had been to them, basically a second father for, for Pochettino. Um, but then we're also like, but also I can see Frank Lampard's side, um, because seeing it from that side of, A, an opponent got a potential advantage on you from scouting your team, and then B, shared it with everyone. Just uh, probably would not be too fun. All right, uh, now we'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, and we are back. Uh, Jake, very, very positive match this weekend. Uh, let's start there before we get into any ownership stuff. Was there anything different tactically that you did this week um, that, that people that just saw the scoreline may have not recognized? I don't think so. Um, we're a little bit more open and, and higher up the pitch and, and more you know, looking to attack and dominate the play. But it was you know, five at the back, four in midfield, very little sort of creativity um and very reliant on Rondon to to do a lot of the work up there um you know we we are very lacking in creativity uh we have been all season isn't helped that our three you know first choice midfielders in Keysung Young, John Joe Shelby and um Mohamed Diame are all out injured which has left us with Isaac Hayden and Sean Longstaff in the middle um Longstaff an academy graduate uh, did well on, on loan at Blackpool last year. And, and it sort of stepped up to, to Premier League life very easily. He looks, looks at home in the middle of the park and it's probably the one impressing most. Um, just very calm on the ball, very like Michael Carrick in his style of play in that he doesn't give the ball away a lot and he doesn't, you know, do too much, but he's very progressive in his passing and, and it, he's, he's, it's very encouraging to see a player come through the academy. Um He's, he's been given a chance because we have no other options and there's been no spending on the squad. So it's he's been very much forced in there, but he's done very well. And sometimes you just need to get that chance and take it. And he's done that. Um, yeah, I think the the first goal, Cher's goal, was, was very good. Um, very, very good if you haven't seen it. it. A defender picking it up about 40 yards from goal and, and just carries it in into the box fairly un, unchallenged and, and just sticks it in the bottom corner. It's like, if you're not going to tackle me, then I'll, I'll put it in the net. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, then got a very nice goal from a corner where he's sort of in the right place at the right time. Uh, and, and then we finished off with Perez, um, which was a really nice bit of play from Rondon, who, who picked up the ball. Uh, instead of going to the corner flag, you know, he did a few step overs, beat the defender and put it into Perez. It was, it was a nice piece of play. And, and incredibly this past week, Newcastle scored, um, eight goals if we include the, the game at Chelsea uh, and the game in the cup so the eight goals in three matches yeah maybe we've just got a bit of confidence and, and maybe that's what was lacking uh, before um, yeah it's a really encouraging week um, and it, it was a game that we really had to win we're in the bottom three uh, Southampton Burnley are picking up uh, and I think we got Man City and, and Tottenham coming up. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a huge game and one we had to win, really. And, and we did that. Um, so, yeah, we can't really have any complaints. All right, now on to the never-ending bad parts, <laughs> which include uh, a commentator saying that uh, 
Rafa Benitez, if he loves the so, club so much, should pay for his own players. Uh, Mike Ashley coming out and apologizing for potentially ruining the sale of the club. Just what all is happening at Newcastle at the moment? Yeah, it's it's crazy, isn't it? I think um, I think from what I understand is that Mike Ashley is going to remain owner for the foreseeable future, which, once again, I got my hopes up at these rumours, which I shouldn't really let myself do. Um it, there didn't seem too much to him in the end uh, and he sort of just admitted defeat and said that he, he's going to stay as owner um a lot of there have been reports that up to five parties were interested uh, and i can't help but think if if five people you know five groups of people are willing to buy one of them buy what worked. you're selling yeah you know the problem is with the seller not the buyer uh, i think that's very much what it is he, he's asking for too much he's he's you know not willing to put relegation uh, relegation clauses into deals that that could potentially lose them a lot of money if we went down. But then why would the buying party want to to then stake all that money if if Newcastle might go down? It's it's one of those, you know, one of those problems, and, and it's where we face at the moment. We've got an owner that says he wants to sell, but he doesn't seem to be very motivated to do it because there there is definitely interest in it. And if he was willing to sell it, he probably could could get it done. You know, if you just lowered that asking price, and it's yeah, it's it's just frustrating. Um, he he met with Benitez after the game yesterday. I think it was the first time they had face to face contact for for a few months. So hopefully that's positive, and and it leads to something in the in the transfer window over the next couple of weeks. But yeah, I, I won't hold my breath on that one. Um, it uh, and and the big thing with these ownership things that are going on is that it's probably going to lead to Benitez leaving at the end of the season when his contract's up. Because I just, if I was him, I wouldn't want to stick around under Mike Ashley because he's, he's seen what it's like and it's it's not great. So that's probably what it's going to result in, which which is sad, but that that looks to be happening. Uh, on on the comments from a, a certain broadcaster in, who's been, you know, sent out to, to the Middle East to pasture for, for what he did in the UK with some of his comments, Richard Keyes, he is... It's quite remarkable that he even thought that was a thing to tweet. And I know sometimes I think he just wants to stay relevant, but that's, yeah. I didn't know if he was suggesting Benitez spends his own money to buy players or, in fact, buy the club. I don't know which one's more ludicrous, to be honest. Um, It was just ridiculous, and it rightly got ridiculed, and he's as relevant as he ever was. All right, coming to you now, Richard, uh, to talk about Manchester City. Uh, reports that Benjamin Mendy is set to come back. Uh, what changes do you think we could see to the side uh, if and when that happens? Uh, well, for a start, we'll have a left-back, which would be nice. Um, Although one scored today. Yes, yeah. Um, granted, with a, a good deal of luck. he's been Danilo has been hitting shots from 25, 30 yards every game that he's played ever since Burnley away last season because he scored one. Uh, and so it's nice to finally see another one that didn't go sort of 10 yards either side of the goal, to be fair. Um, but, I mean, we we need a left-back back in the squad. Um, I saw a, a stat doing the rounds this week that Mendy's still in the top three assist-making left-backs this season. Yep. And he's not, he's not played a football game since October. So... That highlights a little bit um, of what he offers. He is so important going forward. The problem that we have with Mendy, really, is that because he's only played in fits and starts over 
a season and a half now. He's never fully got to grips with defending in the Premier League. And what I don't know is somebody who, the only time I saw him at Monaco was in the Champions League and, and against City. I don't know whether that's because he just isn't a great defender, but he makes up for it going forward, or because he's still adapting to the Premier League defensively. Um, but either way, he's got to be a better option than Zinchenko, with all due respect to him, because he's, he's by no means a bad player, but he isn't a left-back. Uh, and Delph, unfortunately, in recent months, has begun to show a little bit. Um, after how good he was there last season, he now looks like a midfielder at left-back. And that is... In no, by no means a criticism of Delph. He still does a good job there for a midfielder at left back. But last season, he looked like that was his position. Um, but in the defeats that we had against Palace and Leicester, there were the amount of times that the ball seemed to drop over his shoulder to a man in space behind him on that side was it was ridiculous. It's like he'd lost all ability to read the game from that position. Um, going forward, it will be interesting to see what Mendy coming back will mean for Leroy Sané because he has to learn a different way to play because he likes getting wide um, and Mendy occupies that space when he's back. He, he goes forward into that position and so Sané has to learn um, how to dovetail with him, basically. And, and Sané, I think, is I think he's good through the middle. I think he's got a lot to offer there. Um, and I think that will be part of his development long term. But in the short term, he's going to have to learn that quickly for them to be effective together. Um, but there's no reason why he can't do that because uh, Sonny is a, an incredibly astute and intelligent footballer and he's in he's in absolutely blistering form at the moment. He's back to his very best. So um, I don't have too many concerns there. But in terms of how it will affect us tactically, that's, that's going to be it. It's how that might unbalance um, the the attacking threat of Sané a little bit. Um, we did see earlier in the season when we had the 6-1 win against Huddersfield at home, having Mendy on the left, was he was so good that we literally didn't play a right-back and we just did anything that went wide, just went down the left-hand side. I think if I remember rightly, I think we put Stones sort of notionally on the right, but he wasn't a right-back. Um, we just didn't play one. We didn't have Walker or Danilo. Just everything went down the left and he was he was phenomenal in that game, Benjamin Mendy. So it'll be good to have him back. Um, if we can keep him fit, the idea of a fresh Mendy giving us a bit of impetus as we, uh, we try and get try and claw those points back on Liverpool and, and still fight in, in every other competition, that's a really tantalising thing. Um, it's just hoping that his defensive instincts are uh, a little bit more well, a little bit keener than they've been uh, in, in other games that he's played this season. Yeah, interested to hear you bring up uh, the fact that sometimes you can drop Walker when you're playing um, Mendy on the left because Walker, not particularly in great form, seems to be back to his old make-at-least-one-big-mistake-a-match self, um, which uh, reminded me of a report I read a couple weeks back um, that... After last season, Pep kind of viewed Walker and Odomendi as players that couldn't necessarily be trusted in the biggest moments. Do you agree with that? And do you think that's why at times we see less of the two of them? This season, it's hard to uh, it's hard to disagree with it. To be honest, Walker is he's really it's like he sleepwalked out of form. Really, it's like it, it happened, and not that many people really noticed it. And and then all of a sudden, everybody had come to the realisation yeah. that 
he's having quite a poor season. When we think back to, I mean, you'll you'll probably remember this quite well, but the the Tottenham City game at Wembley this season, Walker was absolutely atrocious. Um, and I mean, it, it wasn't just bad form; it yeah. was he was horrendous. As Andy, both our fullbacks were off form that day. Um, but yeah, it was it was particularly poor, and it'd be hard to say that he's had any particularly good game since. To be quite honest, um, he still does offer a threat going forward, but he just he doesn't look confident and it really really shows with him that 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 confidence is gone because it's it's not just the big mistakes it's like he's a little bit out of step with the rest of the team there's you can guarantee each game at the moment there's going to be a couple of times that he will pass the ball out of play when he's looking for his, his right winger on the outside of him or when he's looking for maybe to bring it into Fernandinho or Gundogan inside or Silver or whoever's there at least once or twice a game, it just goes straight to the opponent. And that can happen. Obviously, you know, we're we're against very good players who, some of them, quite good at intercepting passes and reading the game. However, in this City team, it really, really stands out. Um, and so if Pep spotted that last season, then fair play to him, because I thought Walker was brilliant last year and, and most City fans did. Um, but that's why... Pep's paid the big bucks, isn't it? He, he sees his stuff on the training pitch and he's, he's obviously got quite a keen eye for for spotting it. What we do about it, I don't know. Um, it's hard to imagine going splashing a load more money on a right-back that, that outs Kyle Walker. And Danilo certainly isn't a better option than him. Um, or at least more often than not, Danilo isn't a better option than him. Uh, and, and as for Otamendi, he was really, really good for most of last year. But he's always had a little bit of liability about him. He's always had that sense that there's a mistake in him. Last season, he was vastly improved on anything that he'd shown during his time with us. It's like Pep moulded him into a completely different defender, which given that he's, I think he's 30 now, he essentially learned a whole new way to play football at age 29, um, 30. So I think we have to give Otamendi a lot of credit, but the reality is that he's not as good a defender um, and he's certainly not as Pep style a defender as um, Emirate Laporte or John Stones. So, of course, Ottomendi is going to be behind them in the pecking order. And a fit Vincent company, I mean, again, he's way behind Stones and Laporte now. But his experience, and he still has that presence on the pitch. We saw he was um, he played the game against Liverpool, which was a hell of a game to, to trust him in, given that he's not first choice anymore. Um, given that he's got that experience and that leadership quality, uh, that it probably does knock Otamendi behind him as well if it's a straight choice, like sort of all things considered. Um, he is our fourth choice. And it's a shame after how good he was last year. He signed a new contract last season. Um, I suspect, I think he signed it for five years, four or five years. I suspect he'll probably not see it out, to be quite honest. Yeah, it did seem like he improved a lot last year, but as John Stones particularly took a step up in his development and then the incoming of Laporte. And obviously you want to use company when you can as club captain. It it did leave him kind of on the outside looking in. All right, uh, now let's talk a little bit about the transfer window in Player Watch. Uh, just about 10 days left uh, by the time you're hearing this, uh, left of this January transfer window. Pretty slow on the whole, but do you think we'll be seeing any motion from your clubs before the window shuts? I think with January, it's quite often slow until the last few days. It, it it takes a while when it's sort of clubs admit 
that they will sell players at a lower cost or players will think that the offer they've got on the table from a club near the bottom of the table is the best they're going to get. So that's where they'll go. So I think we'll probably see a bit. Um, for Newcastle, I think a lot of journalists are quite, I wouldn't say confident, never never the word to use confident under under Mike Ashley, but there's 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 a feeling that Newcastle probably get some bits done. Uh, probably a couple of European loans is what I've heard. I don't have any names. Um, they sort of kept close to the chest, but I'd, I'd think Rafa will probably get something just to appease him. Um, I think there's a deal on the table for Almiron from the MLS, but mm-hmm. I think the club there are asking for a bit too much money. Um, from what I've read, the, the offer from Newcastle is a, a fair one, um, but they're just asking for a bit too much money. And and, and the one thing about Newcastle under my cash is we're never going to... You know, some prim, Yeah, some Premier League clubs would spend the extra money for a player that probably isn't worth it. Newcastle are not going to do that. They, they have a price that they'll go to it. If they're not, that's not going to get accepted. It's not going to get done, and that's why we don't get a lot of the players that Rafa wants at the top of his list, because we're just not willing to, to spend the money on them, um, and we're not willing to get drawn into this you know, massive spending that goes on. So it, it's a shame, because it's the reality of where football's at now, but... You know, we've got an owner that's not going to do that and, and very much looks at the pounds and the pence as a businessman and he's not going to go and spend more than he has to. So that's sent, sadly what it's at. But yeah, I think we'll probably get a couple of loans done uh, and we'll probably get, yeah, we'll probably um, get something done. And I think last year, the, the business we did get done towards the end of January uh, was big in keeping us up. Saved your season, yeah. Yeah, Kennedy and Dubravka came in and, and both were huge. One has is, is maintained that and another one has is, is gone off this year. But yeah, the, I think we'll probably see a couple like that come in. Yeah, what I saw something really interesting a couple of days back was that uh, you sent scouts to each of Bruno Fernandez's last two games. Uh, you'd think that his profile and price might both be a little bit higher than... Uh, Newcastle, but interesting that, that that's what you're looking at, especially as you were linked with Almiron. At least it seems like you are targeting a number 10 for your team. But we're not going to get either of one of those players. Oh, so. probably not. <laughs> yeah, especially not Fernandez. But, I mean, at least it means your club's looking in the right places, which other fans of London-based clubs that wear white could have questions <laughs> about. Um, <laughs> Richard, coming to you now. Uh, Pep himself saying that there are multiple central midfield targets. We saw what happened when Fernandinho was out injured and that potentially you were looking at a right back. Uh, do you think we'll see anything from you this January? Um, I'd be surprised if there were any incomings this January. There aren't really any major rumours. There's the ongoing um, sort of public flirtation from Frankie de Jong uh, it, but that if that were to happen, and I know we're not favourites to get him, and I think PSG are very heavily linked in Barcelona as well. Um, if that were to happen, wherever he moves, I think it's going to be a, a summer move anyway. Um, I, I don't think we'll go into the market, but those are they are positions that need strengthening. Um, the the cover for for Fernandinho is absolutely vital. Um, we know that City have sort of tried to cover that position in the last two windows. Last January, they, they really, really wanted Fred. And uh, in the Who's summer... Who's now they disappeared de- at United? Yes, yeah. Well, United have twice had their fingers burnt by using City as their scouting department, which is <laughs> great. Um, and yeah, uh, in the summer, Pat was very, very keen on Jorginho, um, who... 
I'm not sure has set the world alight at Chelsea yet, but who knows quite how he would have been under uh, under Guardiola. Um, it's a position we need covering because we are a different team without Fernandinho. We don't have another player who senses danger before it develops and then is as good at cutting it out and turning it straight into City's advantage. We do not have another player in the squad who um, who does that job, never mind uh, having a player who does it as well as him. It's not like he has an understudy. He is unique in the squad. Uh, and so we miss him hugely when uh, when he's out. And it's too simple to say, just look at the games that we've lost. But in the last... 18 months, the Palace and Leicester defeats are huge, huge anomalies on City's record. Um, Previously, they'd only been beat in that period by United and Liverpool in the Premier League. Uh, And and those two games, for um, the Palace and Leicester games, Fernandinho was out for. So it's too simplistic to say that's the only reason, but it was a significant contributor. Um, But I do think we'll wait till the summer. Uh, left back, we need cover for Mendy. Desperately need cover. There have been suggestions that um, that Pep isn't actually that convinced by Mendy either. There's been numerous um, numerous issues with him not turning up on time for training. There was a period where he was sent home for a week because he didn't turn up on time for his rehab. I think it was because he'd uh, he'd attended a, a fight in London. And I think he was told it was something on the lines of if the fight's more important to you, then you can stay home and um, revise on and study boxing instead of football, because clearly your football isn't isn't your priority. So he's definitely had clashes with Pep. Um, City have even moved him out of the city centre into more rural areas to try and minimise some of the distractions of the city centre. So we need cover for him and if Pep isn't convinced by him, we might need two left backs. Personally, I'd be surprised <laughs> if he was. There has been there has been a little bit of suggestion. Um, I think it was around November time that he'd that he'd exhausted sort of Pep's patience and that he was willing to sanction letting him go. Uh, but that might just turn out to be paper talk. To be fair, uh, but yeah, defensive midfield and um, a right back. Hopefully, just as cover to Walker. Hopefully, he regains his form. Um, and Danilo is not any kind of long-term option, and he must be getting fed up with being um, with being benched so often. And yeah, left back absolutely vital. Yeah, uh, as for Tottenham, if anybody's wondering if we'll actually sign anyone, uh, probably not. Um, but uh, like with uh, Jake's comments about Newcastle, we, we are at least sending out some feelers specifically for central midfielders. Um, we've obviously waited way too long on. And Dombele and Frankie de Jong, both of whom have played too well since we were initially interested to to be in our bracket really anymore. Although I wouldn't be stunned if Barcelona somehow managed to get neither Rabiot nor de Jong because they seem to be pitting the two against each other in terms of uh, trying to save themselves a buck or two. Uh, And it really seems like uh, they could end up missing out on both. Um, But those aren't really the targets we're looking at anymore anyway. Um, could we address that, that position this January? I think it's more likely than a forward, um, which would be very difficult. There have been a couple of people offered to Tottenham, um, but neither of them are strikers, so that doesn't really help that situation. That only helps when Sun's back. But by the time Sun's back, Sun can just play up front, and <laughs> that's not really an issue anymore. Um, 
So we'll see. Uh, I I do think we will be close on someone. Whether or not it actually gets done or not, who knows. I'm not being specific. I don't have like an inside cut on that. I just think we're probably going to push for somebody and then at the last minute they're either going to raise the prices or at the last minute Levy's going to do that thing where he's offered $20 million the whole time at the last minute. He's like, actually, 18 and incentives. And then they're like, fuck off. <laughs> Go away forever, please. <laughs> um, so it could be one of those situations again. We do need players. I mean, you can't go two consecutive windows without pe- without buying players while dealing with all these injuries. That, that would just be insane. But simultaneously wouldn't be surprised if it happened. So there you go. Um, we'll wrap up with match previews. Obviously, an interesting one is uh, the first three we're going to be mentioning, at least, are all cup ties. Uh, we'll start with you, Richard. Uh, barely squeaked past Burton in that first leg of the Carabao Cup semifinal. Uh, do you think we'll just see even more youth players in this one? Well, no, because um, City are ludicrously part of the Checker Trade Trophy, where I think the squad we have to play is from selected from our under-21s, where we get pitted against clubs from League One and League Two. Uh, we played that game, I think, the night before, the Burton game. So that hamstrings City a little bit in which youth players they can select, because a lot of them are going to be playing in the quarterfinal of uh, a competition that we shouldn't even enter a team into, in my opinion. I think it's an absolute abomination of a, an idea that Premier League clubs get to do that. Um, but City do it. It was only through doing the the Blue Moon podcast this week when somebody mentioned that they were in it that I realised City had got this far in it because I deliberately try and avoid anything to do with it. So much do I disagree. But anyway, um, that will hamstring Pep a little bit in which youngsters he can select. Uh, I would certainly expect to see a start for Phil Foden um, and we'll, we will see some of the squad players. I mean, Murich will definitely play in net over Edison. But beyond that, I don't really know. Um, personally, if it were me, um, which unfortunately it's not, but if it were me, I would bin off the Checker Trade Trophy, play play a nonsense team in that, and let some of those youngsters, or at least the ones that you think have some kind of future at a top level, let them play in the second leg of this semi-final instead of the Checker Trade Trophy. Um, but that doesn't really seem to be an option that City are considering from the from the information that's been leaked about them being really annoyed with the scheduling. It's just going to be whatever happens. It's not going to be a thrilling match because there's nothing really riding on it. Um, hopefully, we're able to get a win on the night and whatever team selected isn't one that, you know, if we pick a, a complete kids team, then there might be a point for Burton raising the game and getting something on the evening. Um, I hope whatever we do, it's a, it's a team good enough to just get a professional job done and, and come through the night as well. Um, on to us next. Uh, Tottenham are going to be traveling to Stamford Bridge uh, to face the Chelsea side with all the issues that we mentioned previously, but obviously most listeners of this show will be aware. Tottenham, things not going particularly well for us, especially on the injury front right now. Harry Kane already likely out until March, so Soko out for a couple of weeks. Deli Ali pulled up with a hamstring injury in today's match. That'll probably keep him out at least a couple of weeks. Um, sons away with international duty with South Korea. Fernando Lorente was horrible today. We have a lot of issues right now, um, especially uh, at the forward position. Um, it sounds like Lucas will actually be fit. Uh, Pochettino said he was actually training, um, but they just didn't want to test him 
uh, in this match. They just felt it came a little too early for him. So hopefully he'll be back for the next one. So that at least deals with the potential Deli Ali situation. That means we will have to play Lamella again, who may have had his worst match for Tottenham this week. Um, just, oh man, it was, was it bad? Uh, but unfortunately, I, I think Chelsea are going to win this one, even with all of their problems. We just have so many more, um, just walking wounded and, and players not there. Uh, we do have the one nil advantage that, that could be enough in theory. Um, if we can get a goal, uh, obviously no away goals, uh, in the competition this year. Uh, so that's not a factor, but, uh, it, it's just hard to be confident. We, we put up one of our worst performances of the season against Fulham and barely snuck out with all three points. If we put a performance like that up against Chelsea, even in their current form, we'd lose by multiple goals. Um, so we'll see, but not feeling particularly optimistic, um, yeah, without Delhi, I just don't know. I, I think Lorente and Lamella are just both going to play again, even after such shocking performances against Fulham today. And uh, that naturally does not lend one confidence. All right, uh, Jake, no care about Cup for you, but you are still in the FA Cup. You'll be hosting Watford at the weekend. What do you think we'll see uh, from Rafa Benitez and the boys? Yeah, I think if if I was Benitez... I mean, it's it's one thing saying this because even our full strength team is worse than Watford's, but I would just go for it, and he's likely to go at the end of the season. There's no harm in trying to go somewhere in a cup, but he's probably not going to do that. Um, so I'd expect to see a similar team to what played against Blackburn. A lot of young players, um, yeah, will probably get beaten quite easily by Watford. Um, but this is. You know, we beat Watford at home in the league, uh, drew to them away from home. So it's, they're a team we could we could get past it. You know, if you get home drawing the cup against a team that isn't one of the top six, you got you got to be trying to win that. But he's probably not going to. So yeah, I I, I think we'll see a lot of young players, and we're probably going to get beaten rather easily, which is disappointing considering you know the sort of the momentum we've built up over the last couple of games, at the cup replay, and and then against Cardiff you'd hope that Benitez would look to, to press on and, and get another win um, I don't think he can really complain about games because he's got a week week to prepare for this one yeah I think we should be going for it but I, I don't think he will so yeah, I think we'll probably go out of the cup one round later than we usually do so you know <laughs> we got that <laughs> and then at least you yeah, got so, that to look forward to exactly yeah <laughs> could, we could have been offered to dubai on some sort of warm weather training this week that damn <laughs> cup replay really ruined my enjoyment as a fan i really enjoy that trip away to dubai <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that will do it for us today. Uh, guys, thanks so much for joining me. Tell the folks where they can find you. Yeah, you can get me on uh, Twitter at Jake Jumpin with two N's. You can get my writings on EPL Index. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Richard the Burns, and I'm on the Blue Moon podcast, which is released every Friday, and uh, they are on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. All right, thanks again. It was a pleasure chatting with you guys, and we hope you keep listening. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.